Welcome to our CEDA interview series on how to tackle challenges within diversity and inclusion with its aim to empower society to hold courageous and powerful dialogues. I am Susanne Schuler, Director of Training at CEDA. What are we experiencing now? There are protests and activists. Certainly, there are city and state forces coming down hard on regular citizens. That is happening. But is there dialogue? Well, not really. Right now, we can say that most of the conversations about racism and difference are not producing anything beyond oppositional and polarized argument. There's much more heat than light. We see that passion is being articulated in a way that is not landing with the other side. The big question and task for us as mediators is, can we turn the current anger into constructive energy and useful action, and how? In this podcast series, you will learn from engineers of genuine social change, peace builders, racial healing experts, and de-radicalization specialists. And what is your role in this? To listen, extract the meaning for yourself and for you to get involved. What is CEDA's commitment? CEDA has its part to play with 30 years experience of small, medium and large-scale conflict. We have worked with communities, businesses and governments to de-escalate and reverse conflict, facilitate dialogue and helped create mutually beneficial pathways to peace and understanding. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the third of our interviews. And we have today again Francine, lovely to have you as the host again, and Nouradin from Belgium joining us today. And I give a quick intro to the two of you for our audience, and then we start right away. So we have Francine, our host, who is an experienced and respected broadcaster for both radio and television. And over the decades, she has reported for and presented many programs, including The Money Program and Newsnight, as well as one of documentaries and series on politics, current affairs and the arts. She's also a mediator, a published author of both novels and nonfiction. She's an honorary fellow of Jesus College, Oxford, where she read modern languages. And a warm welcome to Nuruddin Aradi. And I would like to start with a quote of Nuruddin's, which I find describes his nature and his purpose very well. He once said in a speech, meeting the other is simply rich. And I experienced Nuruddin as a facilitator of difference. He was born in Casablanca, Morocco, where he studied Arabic, French and English, as well as American literature specialized in the psychology and literature of the black Afro-Americans. He continued his studies at the Sorbonne in Paris. Nuruddin has been working in the field of intercultural relations and intercultural communications for over 25 years. He has also served as the coordinator of European projects working on issues concerning immigration, integration and intercultural dialogue. In an effort to promote intercultural understanding and dialogue, Nuruddin has directed and produced six award-winning documentary films in which European teachers, administrators and policymakers participated in a simulated integration program. We will speak about that as well today. 
These films have been presented worldwide and they are now used in more than 900 European organizations. Nouradine says that this experience has helped him to develop a concept he's working with today, and we will speak about it today. He calls it the other side of the medal, in which he applies the getting out of the box thought. A program which allows professionals to participate, learn and experience what it is to be a newcomer in a new world where you have to adjust and integrate in. This method has become an essential tool for people who work in the integration, immigration and intercultural communication fields. Currently, Nouredin is the Interculturalization Coordinator and Chairman of IFA, Integration for All, the Netherlands and Belgium. And I would like to close my intro with a Sangha metaphor Nouredin used in one of his speeches and he might um, explain that later to us as well. Sangam is an Indian word and signifies the meeting point of different rivers coming from diverse sources, whilst you can still see each river with its own separate identity. And at the same time, you experience the dramatic impact as the rivers flow together and see the strength that is generated in the confluence, that togetherness, as the rivers merge and join the ocean. Guess what? Each river keeps its color after this dramatic impact. And that's for me to hand over to Francine and Nouredine and to start with the interview. Thank you very much, Susanna. Um, Thank you. No, Nouredine, hello. Very good hello. to see you again. Um, let's start with a little bit of background so that people can understand the context really for your work. I mean, what, what was the sort of background that brought you to this particular work? Uh, well, uh, first of all, uh, thank you for having me. Um, all started, uh, as Susanna just mentioned, when I finished my studies um, at Sorbonne in, 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 in Paris, where I studied, actually I finished uh, my, uh, uh, my studies on the psychology of the Black American uh, writers and especially the, on the work of Richard Wright on his books, Native Son and Black Boy. In, uh, then I found myself in, uh, in the Netherlands um, uh, facing a new challenge, which was that the Netherlands at that time was the, uh, trying, well, actually working on the new integration program. So, I was maybe I was lucky. Uh, they asked me to be uh, among the first people who work in that program. So that is that is one of the reasons that put me in this work. Okay, so we're going to talk today about radicalization and the process of, if you like, de-radicalization. Um, it's quite a broad phrase, radicalization. So, what kind of situations are you working with? Well, um, when it comes to radicalization, actually what happens is that um, I was asked, um, I was asked by, um, um, let's say, the, the, the Dutch and the Belgian government to accompany a group of, uh, of 10 people from, I mean, former radicals, I call them, uh, eight men and uh, two women for, to accompany them for a period of, uh, 
five months from 9 a.m. till <laughs> 5 p.m. They finished their sentences. They went through two reintegration se uh, sessions and my session with them was the last one, the, I mean, the last reintegration program. Mm. So at that point, I mean, that's obviously sort of a lengthy, a lengthy process. The, the individuals you were dealing with, can you give some sort of broad context as, as to their kind of background? How had they got to that place? Well, uh, first of all, um, this uh, 10 people, they, 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 they have nothing in common. Only one thing, I mean, nothing in common, but one thing, which is uh, loss of identity. And this loss of identity is actually the thing that 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 pushed them to 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 the limits to go beyond the limits for 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 many, for many reasons. And uh, I can give you an example. For example, um, uh, one of the reasons one of the ladies in the group used to be a successful student turned to be a lawyer. And then uh, one day she decided to talk to her mother about a situation, something that happened to her in her actually early life. And she told her mother that she was raped by her uncle. So here first we are facing a situation among a Muslim family. So the mother, and the position of the mother just asked her daughter that such things should not be heard. And she told her, her daughter that she is not allowed to, to talk to anybody about this. Well, the frustration of the young lady, the lawyer, uh, was actually what was terrible. So she decided to talk to her brother. And then the same thing, her brother was worse. He told even treated, treated to kill her if she utters one word of what happened to her. So, so that is, that's the moment she started asking questions about herself, about her family, about um, who she was and uh, her belongings. And until she, she found herself actually in between a woman who turns to be actually best friend who told her that she could help her and she could actually help her reach her aim and uh, get answers to that bad situation so until she found herself in syria and in syria she was unfortunately she was also raped and she was in prison then she fled and she went back and that's where when she went back then she was sentenced with the idea that she was actually um uh, one among the, the the radicals the former radicals for example so, so is it fair to say that that many of the people that you've been that you've dealt with have been through a sort of similar arc or a similar kind of journey, which is that of of sort of isolation and then finding a narrative that for them made sense and becoming involved in in a, a different social group? Well, that's a very good question because because um, uh, you know. There are there are many things that can happen to individuals to to lead them to do something. 
when it comes to uh, radicals now, since uh, we are talking about uh, the radicals or former uh, uh, rad radicals, this situation for them is that, as I said, the moment they could not find an answer, which is very important to who am I, everything starts there. Then they turn to they turn to be vulnerable. They turn to be blind. They are. They, I mean, they can accept everything you can tell them, just as if you are telling them, "I'll give you the drug. Give me the money," and that is unfortunately what happens actually to do to the ten people I I work with. Mm. So th these are people who at one time. You know, adopted a particular narrative because, as you say, it gave them a sense of of who they were. Now, at the point where you interact with them, that narrative is starting possibly to unravel. So, how do you approach them? How do you begin with your? Tell us something a bit about what your method is, please. Well, um, first of all, when you are asked to to work with a group of people. They, people call them uh, former radicals. With a group of people who went to prison, they were asked to follow a reintegration program. And, and I was asked to actually to go through uh, the, the last phase uh, with them. Believe me, it is a huge task because I do need to have uh, serious, strong, and necessary tools to work with the target group. We have actually to bear this in mind, because if not, we cannot be successful in coaching them, uh, training them, helping them. So what, what kind of tools? So tell, I mean, tell us, how do you begin then? Yeah. So I, uh, for me, before I actually I met them, I had to go through. I, f I had to follow uh, an intensive course called uh, the Art of Listening, and believe me, it helped me a lot because this Art of Listening that is what we all need in our life, especially when it comes actually uh, uh, it comes to situation like this situation I found myself in, because. The moment I met them, it took me sometimes to to listen to them because I have to listen to them. And I, when I met them, and the director of the center introduced me uh, to them, it was not easy. Uh, we spent something like uh, more than two weeks just eating together, sitting together, and just observing each other's. And for me, I was also um, anyway. I was the person. Uh, ask to do something to help them to to reintegrate them in society, but that was that was wrong because at the end when we evaluate with the directors and the responsible, we found that that we shouldn't do that. Do never go in a place where you have closed people with with such a history, bad history, whatever experience, and actually try to dictate on them. I'm here to help you. That was that was a mistake. Luckily, I went, as I said, through this uh, art of, of listening because, first of all, I needed the trust. That trust, I I uh, I was in need of it. Without it, that's the first key. Otherwise, I would never 
I would never have actually reached what I reached with them. So that is that was that was number one, the trust, good listening, and also. I had to work a lot on myself. That is the getting out of the box. Who am I? Nuridin Radi. That is the second thing, because if I don't know, I mean, really, who am I? Who I am dealing with people? Who do I listen to people? Who uh, am I communicating with people? I might, I, I might have uh, also some problems. Those small details are very important because that, that is, they are the basic of the best communication, a fruitful communication. If we don't have these tools, that's for sure, somewhere the train will stop. Somewhere we will hear a crack on the bridge. So we are stuck. So that is something really, I, uh, that's what I learned. And that's what I, uh, I am actually, the people I am working with and I am meeting, trying to advise them to have, because it's not, it's, it's not easy. And one last point I would like to, to, to share uh, with you, which is, I think, uh, uh, that's the main thing you know, on this subject, radicalism. You cannot work with these people or Muslims if you do not have a strong baggage on Islam and religion. Just forget it. You mean you have to have a, a good knowledge of it? You, you have to. Yeah. You have to because they will bombard you because if you want to help them, they will bombard you with what they heard. Brainwashing came from, you know, things that come from the Quran. And so if I want to work with them and help them, actually, shall I tell them I don't know? No. I have actually to go, but I have first to listen to this brainwashing source, what, what, what it contains, where, where does it come from? And then I am there to show them, actually, first of all, I get their trust. Once I am, I'm there with their trust, then they will start asking me questions. Means the answers I have to tell them should be correct, direct, and not, I mean, and true, not false because they are in the second phase and they know that they want to get rid and they get out of actually the circle they found themselves in. Mm -hmm. But it must always then be difficult sometimes to keep that trust when you are in a sense, I mean, you talk about people being brainwashed, but you are in a sense trying to undo some of that and, and to replace some of their thinking. I mean, how do you keep trust all the way through that very delicate process? This is also, um, Francine, a very good question. With all respect, some, sometimes people forget about it. Because I, 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 I attend sometimes session when you have people dealing with this situation, working in the group, and they are 100%, 100% rational. You can't work 100% rational in this situation. And I found myself that I was 60% or 70% emotional and the rest rational. They have to feel it. They have to, to if, they want, if, if you want them to trust you, then you have to actually to be on that level because on that emotion, you share with them um, situations or private situations in an emotional way. You are a human being, you are not a robot. And they have to feel, I have, they have to sense that point if they notice that they are talking to, according to them, a robot rational, just forget it. I'm talking about my experience and what they told me, by the way, 
because they told me everything at the end, we trust you because, because we could sense and feel your emotions. You were sincere with us. So you have to be genuine, but at the same time, there's a risk that you're dealing with people who may be you know, highly intelligent also that you might be manipulated yourself or, or, you know, or you might have to deal with your own unconscious biases as well. How do you do that? Uh, you know, uh, another thing which we should not forget that this group for them, as if they, uh, they forget about life. They lost everything. So at that moment, all I can share with them should be true. I mean, that emotion should be true because, because they should realize that I am there. That's not to push them or to, as you said, the bias or to, to trick them to go actually uh, through the cage. I want them to go through it. Do never do that. Like, you know, it reminds me sometimes, you know, the, the, the herder who wants actually to guide his sheep yeah. to actually to the gate with the, with the dog. We can't do that. We can't do that. And that is why, because they lost everything and you are there and then they accept you and then they trust you. Just, just actually go and, uh, uh, and uh, not act. You don't have to act. Be who you are. I, I know I have I have an aim. I was there to help them, and I should never forget about that aim. Help these people, but in another form, but not actually the, you know, the classical ones on rational levels. That well, it, it will not work. Yes. It, it's interesting then to sort of narrow down the particular skills that you need for this, because you've mentioned active listening, which you know any mediator listening to this will know about that. Um, but then you're also talking about something about which is sort of giving a bit of yourself in terms of possible that emotional, you know, giving something to. So, so what are the key skills that you think are needed for the job? Um, to do this job again, the key skills you need, that's really, I mean, good listening. You should be a good listener because they have to sense, they have to discover, they have to find out that the person they are talking to is really listening. And I have to realize the moment I am listening that I am really listening. I have to be aware of that. If I don't have these two elements, I will lose and they will find it the moment they will fall. I mean, they discover, you know, that bridge or that, uh, uh, that break, they will, they will actually, they, put, they will put you away. And that, that is a fact, that is, that is very, very, uh, very important, as I said. So that is uh, especially listening and that um, be yourself. I mean, the, uh, the emotional or rational, do not be, do not be, and that's the key, not only rational, trying to do things in, as if yeah, making it just difficult for you and uh, for themselves. And when it comes to radicalization, when it comes to religion, you should have a serious bagage, interesting bagage concerning the, the religion. Then, then you can answer, otherwise it won't help. So as far as the next step is concerned, as far as integration is concerned, does that require the same kind of skills or is there something different there? Uh, yes, they go together, they uh, hand in hand. Because um, 
as I told you, when, uh, when uh, the first time I found myself actually in, in the Netherlands and uh, working in this wonderful, interesting uh, program integration uh, of newcomers, the people who just arrived in the Netherlands, then they have to follow courses on social skills, knowing more about the Dutch culture. And then the second part is they have to learn the, the, the Dutch language. In this case, they receive uh, lessons, we call them the Dutch as a second language. But then the first year I, with my colleagues, the Dutch colleagues, I, we noticed that they did have a problem with the newcomers, with Turkish, with Moroccans, with the Chinese, with each time they are in the class teaching them Dutch as a second language, they realize that their students talk among each others in the native language. And they did like that. They they were actually disturbed. They 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 something something like the hell. Would you listen to me? You are here in the Netherlands. We are in the class of Dutch, and you have to communicate in Dutch, not in your. And I received this uh, complaint for many times, and then I, I I used to ask also my students, "What do you think? Do you have problems with the teacher?" So the students give me another version that the teacher didn't understand that they don't understand. And the teacher don't understand why the students communicate in the native language. Mm. So, it, it, so suddenly they were on the outside, as it were, the teachers were on the outside. Exactly. So tell us a bit about this, this experiment that you carried out for your documentaries. Well, that's why I said, actually I said, well, Nuridin, uh, you have to do something because, because that, this, if we are talking about integration, this is not working because integration is a huge word and success of yeah, that somebody is really successfully, I mean, integrated, it's great, but to go there, you need, I mean, you need, and the system needs also some tools. So I wrote this concept, I introduced it to, to my director, and this concept is about, uh, what about, uh, having my colleagues, especially the ones who are teachers of Dutch as a second language, also the policy makers who write this policy of integration uh, in the Netherlands, I want to take them to Morocco and I, I want them to be themselves newcomers in Morocco. In Morocco, they will have the same program, only that the social skills then they will be in Dutch and the and then they will receive, instead of Dutch as a second language, they will receive Arabic as a second language. I was lucky. My director said, that's a good idea. They uh, afforded me with the, I mean, and the money needed. So we were 12 uh, professionals, uh, Dutch teachers and policymakers. I took them to Morocco. I took with me a professional uh, crew, camera crew. And uh, Francine, here you are something like uh, in front of reality as it is, that is the moment when you see people uh, getting out of their box, realizing, touching something new, saying even teachers saying, oh my God, I didn't know that. Yeah, just how difficult it is to be. Exactly, yeah. how difficult it is. And uh, the teacher, the Moroccan teacher uh, with his, uh, you know, the famous white uh, uh, blues and then, uh, uh, he speaks only Arabic and everybody was looking at him something, what is he talking about? Mm. And exactly miracle, miracle, 
they start all the Dutch teachers and policymakers in the class communicating in the Dutch language. So uh, this is a huge question, but how do we try to incorporate some of the things that you have learnt to businesses or to institutions or to sort of various forms of contact so you can deal with diversity and difference within um, within organizations how can we make some of this apply to to more to less extreme situations well um of course, because I was asked this question for many times because many organizations were interested. But of course, Michael, you cannot take people just every time to, to another country. You pay a lot of money. and this. So I decided to do it actually on a local level. So if you have, for example, big organization, so the people who would like to, to, to participate or to test themselves if they can get really out of the box, if they want to understand what do we what do what do we mean by comfort zone because uh, through this experience all the participant actually um, part, the participant uh, came with the following evaluation conclusion that co our comfort zone is our best enemy mm. okay we can see it yeah. But it is, we think I am okay, but I am not okay. As far as I, I have to get out of it, I have to get out of my garden, I have to look at my garden from a helicopter view, and then to see if I am really doing the right thing in my garden. So that is that is actually what happens uh, through this experience actually in Morocco and in Turkey. Great, thank you. So, uh, I mean, this is slightly, we've already touched on this really, but how important do you think the kind of mediation skills that that CEDA is teaching and supplying, how important are those uh, in this whole question of diversity and difference? Well, uh, Francine, to be honest with you, I mean, uh, I have been observing um, uh, those things for, for, for many years. Because if you want to be a coach, a mediator, or a trainer, uh, you, you have to look at yourself always. Uh, who you are, the baggage you have, the background you have, uh, the tools you have, uh, because people who you are going to help or to train or to guide, uh, uh, they do have their background, their culture. You cannot work with them just blanco. You should create, you should have a bridge. You don't have this bridge, it's over. You may work with them, I don't know, that's, you may work with them, you finish what you have to do with them. It's not enough, it's not enough, it's not enough. As far as if you can touch, because uh, for example, I forgot one thing. Uh, my way of working is all because I work with the Paulo Freire methods. And Paulo Freire, the, this uh, Brazilian uh, actually uh, teacher, uh, he was actually, he asked the impossible to the authorities. He told the authorities, you know, give me the, the, all the boys, those criminals of the streets in Rio de Janeiro, I will teach them. So everybody was surprised, you know, unbelievable, you can't teach them. He said, I teach them. So when uh, he didn't use classes or whatever, he uses just the streets. He had 10, 12 uh, of the boys and the girls sitting in front of their houses and asking questions like, uh, okay, what, what, 
what is your problem? Where is your father? My father is in prison. Uh, what do you have at home? He said, we have a pistol, for example, a revolver. So I said, okay, do you know what the pistol is? Yes, of course I know what the pistol is. So I am going to teach you how to write a pistol. <laughs> because if we don't start from what people do have and do know, sometimes it's really hard to teach people actually just, and you don't know what they know. No. It is easy. It make it can make it for you actually easier because at least you know the background, you know the, the the baggage they do have. From there you can start, and that is also something I learned um, from these documentaries. And uh, we worked on it with uh, with the teachers because I have to just to go back. The teachers who participated in these uh, programs in Morocco, for example, uh, I followed them six months later and one year later, and it's amazing to see that radical change in their way of teaching. The pedagogy has changed completely. Hmm. So they, but they needed, sorry, but they needed to get to get out of their box. Without getting out of the box, it's, it's I will say almost impossible. Wonderful. Well, that seems that seems uh, on on that. Thank you very much for now. But there'll be more questions, I'm sure. So I, I'm going to hand back to Susanna, who I will no doubt um, is going to tell us more about the Sangam theory as well. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, Nuruddin has to give enlighten us there as well. So thank you, um, uh, Nuruddin, for um, for that last point. And I would like to um, hang on to that because as a mediator, we always ask ourselves and in CEDA we take that quite seriously to train or to help our mediators to when we call biases or helping to identify that in a mediation but within themselves. So what I'm hearing right now and it will come uh, as a shock to a lot of commercial mediators who um, and I'm part of that where you think okay I can still operate on a really good level if I master some of the key skills but I'm not bringing myself in so much. What I'm hearing now from you is if I really want to, well, go 100% or help the people, I, I need to put myself first in a, in a situation where I, I really identify who I am. So facing my demons, facing my fears, facing all of that to be able to actually sit there and say, okay, I am now open to receive. I'm not so busy with myself anymore. Is that fair? Is that one aspect you, you mentioned, what you would recommend for a mediator who really would like to say, how can I go from good to great? Is that what you think a mediator should, should do? Absolutely. Absolutely. Believe me, I'm talking about my experience and also the result of my experience, what we have seen so far, that's what I'm sharing with you because, because uh, it is needed. The person, because you just mentioned a, a, a verb, a term which is very important, you said to help. Mm -hmm. Do you have the tools to help somebody? What are these tools you have? And uh, if you are going actually to help that person with an injection, you are going to inject it on what? Mm -hmm. And that is the question, which is very, very important. Very important. If the other person needs your help, for example, that person does have a background, does have something, that's why he needs you. So it means that you should at least have something. 
knowing something about yourself and about that person to create that bridge, to create that trust and to reach your aim and the person, of course, reaches his or her aim. And there is also something you mentioned, and I will then start with, with questions. Um, thinking, putting yourself in the, sh in the situation of the other, what you did with those teachers. And I think we, we name that in our jargon, mediation jargon, change of perspective. In a way, what we as mediators can offer or should be offering is the possibility that the parties can see can go to that garden you mentioned, can go to their garden, and we build a tunnel, uh, a tunnel, we send them in the tunnel sometimes, I mean, a, like a balcony or something they can, we put them there that they can see their garden and then they can see the other garden. So that is in a way what we mediators have to be able to do. And do you believe that this is possible? It's possibly, it's a trick question. <laughs> Could I do that without ever having to leave my comfort zone as a mediator i don't want i don't want to be negative but i think it's almost impossible <laughs> so i would open the 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 questions now so if, if if the audience want to type some questions i have one here from joachim which is um and i know it, it it's um from for joachim i think quite um let's say quite to his heart as well so when facing a violent experience and perception of a radicalized individual and the violence merged with faith and religion, it's something you mentioned on, on the first part of the interview, how do you take a step back and leave your own faith and your own emotions aside to be fully available to listening, despite the violence and the horror that they shared with you? So in this case, uh, the question is uh, to me, the person who works with the former radicals, if you understood clearly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah of course. It is, a, it, it, is a, uh, uh, it is a very good question, by the way. Why? Because then, as I told you, I have to believe him. Uh, uh, I am Muslim and my Islam, actually that clean Islam, I, I, I believe in it. I believe in the positive, uh, in, the, in its positivity. Uh, working with them allows me eventually to use that positivity in that religion to, to actually to help uh, these people. Uh, working with them for five months, it was not easy. Uh, psychologically, and I was also, um, I, I, uh, uh, I was sick for some time because, because I know that I gave a lot, my energy, and uh, I accept it because it's normal. It is normal. Uh, the, when we finished the session, the, the, the last two weeks after the session were not also that easy because then I have to find back myself. But still, the most interesting thing was that um, the, the, the farewell, when we were saying goodbye to each other, when we were saying goodbye to each other, um, I loved uh, one thing because they told me, uh, well, thank you, Nuruddin. Uh, uh, they said, we are glad we trust you. And that was actually just that sentence, a relief for the rest, because to come back to myself and then to, to go on believing, actually, let's say, oh, the good things, actually, 
within me uh, as a Muslim, uh, uh, believing in the positivity of Islam and not the negativity. Actually, these people, unfortunately, via the brainwashing, all the the dilemma they went through, it's 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 a pity, but it's not easy. But again, you should really know uh, you know yourself. Um, very well and also lean on that baggage through baggage you have that's why i said it's very important to have that baggage otherwise you will you will be facing many things you will be hurt you'll be hit as if you are in the corner in in arena and somebody a boxer is giving you you know punches from everywhere you don't know how to handle that that you mean you should have to the skills to to escape and you should have the skill to believe in you and and that is also very important about who you are and how you can communicate with others. Otherwise, it it is not that easy. He's right. I mean, the, the yeah. Just to reflect on the last point, which I think is something very essential, and I don't want that it, it goes unnoticed. The best protection in of yourself going into the arena of a fight or a conflict. If I see that as a mediator, sometimes I feel I'm entering an arena when people are shouting, there's lots of noise and polarization, is to, to know yourself, to, be, to know your triggers, to be confident in yourself, to know who you are bringing to the party with all your baggage and knowing there is also something in my baggage I might not be aware of because it takes um, possibly different lives to know who we really are. So that is the best protection to go into such a situation, which is many people would say it's almost utter vulnerability is, is the ultimate strength for to prepare yourself to be a really good mediator or facilitator or helping parties in distress? Absolutely, because uh, uh, you have a task and, and you have a task as actually, some people look at it as a referee, but in fact, you are not a referee, but uh, uh, in a way between brackets, I always look at it when I'm doing this mediation, like, I mean, a justice. And sometimes you see actually the judge listened to two, for example, as a metaphor. And uh, there, the people should realize, should sense, should discover the person in in the middle that that person does have something. And not only charisma, also this, then the, uh, how how to deal with their situations. And. Uh, I, I learned another thing is uh, again when uh, in, um, doing this um, this work as a mediator, um, let let them see also this part of emotion, because most of the time I, what I notice that is the more you see you know your task is huge between two parties, and then most of the time you stick to everything which is I mean in a rational way. And then you will find, you may find yourself also yourself stuck in that situation. Mm -hmm. But if you you can breathe a little bit by using that emotional part, you will see. I mean, other things, some air will come in. You can use maybe to breathe as if you were under, I mean, the surface and in, 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 in the sea. 
So there, these, those, those things are, are very important. And again, uh, here, I, will, I come back because we discussed it earlier, that the, 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 the scientific aspect of the empty bottle. Empty bottle, we, we look at it, it is empty, but in fact, it's not empty. Because of the air, there is air. And to test it, then, as I said, you put that some in uh, 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 paper uh, at the mouth of the butter and try to blow, and that paper will fall instead of, I mean, go into the butter. Why? Because it's full of air. Means if you want these people to listen to you, you need to find, or them themselves have to create this small hole in that bottle to give some air. And then you can do, then can you do your work the way it should be. Otherwise, you would be just pushing in the full and not in the empty. So it's like the, the, the parties or the conflict parties have to choose to let something in, whatever and how much it is. And, and, and when we go back to those extremes in deradicalization programs, they have to to get a lot in, or it's a full exchange, almost like a, a new blood transfusion, where they have to to get, um, well, that's actually a question. Can they go back to their old identity? Will it be a new identity? So, because they lost everything, including the sense of who they are. So what do they go back to in those programs? They, they um, I don't think they, 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 they go back, but they found, something new and uh, they found something new because they found ears people are now listening to them and because of this the result because i haven't mentioned everything because these 10 people uh, have been now used by this government they are helping at schools they are helping actually especially young people they use the computers they help them look for example to not actually be trapped uh, if there's i mean that is how they can trace you on a computer that is how they can actually uh, ask you to to be one of them on the computer they have a lot of work positive work. Now what they feel something, now I do exist, I have an identity, I feel that I can do something positive for my society, I deceived, or society actually who also deceived me. That's, 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 uh, that's a positive feeling, I might say. And hooking to that, so do you, because that's an another question I just received, do you have a new perspective around people? after working in this area and with all the experience you made, difficult and positive. A perspective in which... Uh... So um, do you think differently of human beings or of people? Yes. Do you see them? Mm -hmm. Yes, because, because, because um, as I said, now I will never let that... that uh, a pure uh, science with the soft science. I mean, that picture of the empty bottle is always in front of me. I can see people, they are not empty. Each person, each human being does have something wearing something with him or with her. We need to, to have the tools, exactly the tools to discover, to know more about those things hidden in that person. And that is exactly, unfortunately, in our society today, we are full of prejudices. 
And that's why I believe in getting out of the box. Because if you can get out of the box, you will be, you keep and remain living in your prejudices. Mm -hmm. And it's a pity. But we have to start somewhere. But it is, mm -hmm. I believe in that. That's why getting out of your box will help you really to discover who you are and to discover even why, I mean, from where these prejudices come from. That's that links actually to one, we have two more questions and one links actually to how you started and I'm not sure if Tanya heard that story, that one person of that group of radicals, um, I think you talked about that that young woman who was raped by her uncle and, and, and lost everything and basically got um, not the the listening she was looking for in her mother and her family and then but she found it then in those who sort of listened but didn't but brainwashed her can you give just uh, briefly how um help us understand how did you start a dialogue with her can you give us an example what how you how you opened that uh with her uh, it was not easy uh, she was uh, uh, silent, she was isolated, but since she was asked to, to participate and be with the group, she was there with the group. So, so I, as I told you, I, I needed, I mean, uh, I had to observe her. I have some time to talk. She doesn't react, she doesn't answer, but uh, she started reacting, talking to me the moment, the moment I started talking, I mean, emotionally and about things that have to do with me, my person, my families, the area. Uh, for example, I, I start talking about because my mother was, was born in, uh, in, uh, in a palace uh, in Marrakesh. And then my mother uh, has never been to school. And she was the one who, who, who taught me actually the use of metaphors. At that moment for her, her mother went through almost the same thing. That's how it started. Something we had in common that brought us later to talk. Mm -hmm. Luckily, as I told you, that emotional part, I used it. If I kept myself just on that rational, we said, well, because intelligent woman, a lawyer, and uh, she felt that she has no life anymore. So she doesn't want to waste time with people. This person is coming, will be my, my psychologist, this one, my trainer, this, I don't need it. But actually at the end, she needed somebody who, well, with whom she can be on, on the same line. And it started just talking about, about, uh, about uh, families and uh, the mother and, uh, and, uh, uh, this kind of metaphor. She is also she. She loves also the Arabic calligraphy. It's how it started. Things from her she likes. I was also interested. She noticed that I was serious. I was not cheating. Mm -hmm. And I loved also, and I showed her that I loved uh, calligraphy. I even showed her actually books I got from uh, an artist, things like that. And then our relationship, I mean, took another route. And that's why at the end, she started telling her, telling me her story, what she did. And by the way, between brackets, this woman now is working uh, with one of the famous, uh, uh, how we call them? Uh, uh, lawyers. 
agents of agencies? Law, law firms? Yes, it's law firms in, in Brussels. Wonderful. That answers um, Evelyn's question. She, she found her path back. And I think that is something um, you, you never know how this ends, but you, you spend some precious time and actually you, you, um, what, what I learned from this, entering as a mediator, I take that away, entering a conversation with, yes, I have baggage, I have prejudice, and in that very moment, I can allow myself not to have them anymore. So like an active decision, I have them, but why not putting them for the moment on, a, on the chair next to me? I can get them back later if I want. Um, I might not want to, I can make it an option for myself, but at least saying, okay, let's see who is there and what they have to say. And I'm sure you heard things which are, well, I have never experienced to that extreme in a mediation. So I think it, it um, I think we will all be challenged when we will experience something that really challenges our very own values and the, the very thing we believe in. So it's possibly important to, to get that clear or aware with yourself before you go into that realm. And I'm thinking now of our peacemaking program and you enter negotiations where you're facing people definitely using methods you don't agree with and you still have an open mind to listen to them. And I think that's, that's the, the step. Yeah, um, it's a, a huge one. Just looking, there is not another question. I don't know, Francine, um, do you have a, another question or something you would like to, to add? Well, I, I would just make an observation, really, listening listening to Nurudin and, and also to, to what you were saying just now, Susanna, that actually it becomes increasingly clear that, that what you do, Nurudin, and, and to an extent mediation also is, is more art than science, really, in some yes. ways, in yes. that it requires, you know, you can have the toolkit but it requires a particular kind of sensitivity to what's going on to, for it to really work well. And yes. I think it's really interesting. I mean, I think that line between how much you offer of yourself um, when, uh, and obviously it depends on the context, you're, you're working in this context and in many commercial areas, this might not be relevant or applicable. But there are all sorts of cases in between where presumably just offering something of yourself is enormously beneficial um, and actually shows that you're putting something into the whole process as well, that you're risking something. Yeah. Thank you. I think that's I agree. A, a wonderful note to close. Unless you have another metaphor you would like to share with us, Nuruddin. <laughs> um... I think um, so far, I think I... Uh... I use the metaphors I uh, I uh, I have for tonight, and it was really a pleasure talking to you and uh, to your audience, of course. Thank you very much, and thank you for for the audience here as well. And yeah, have a have a good evening, uh, all of you, and take that on board when you're in your next mediation. Have yes. a say. What did Nuruddin say? And what does that Sangha metaphor say? Or do I have an own metaphor myself? And working on, on that, I think that's one of the key takeaways for me, because metaphors often help to build a bridge and to clarify yourself with what emotions you have.